still hear my voice, don't you? In your dreams. Do I? Or do I just remember your voice? The way I heard it all those years ago. And imagine that you're speaking to me. I've always had a perfect memory. It's the curse of my people. In the end, does it matter whether I'm really speaking or whether you imagine that I do? Either way, you can hear me. It matters, because you died. You and I both know that death is just another word for a change of state. Can I ever die? Can you? Everything dies, in the end. I think that hearing that sound marked the moment when I knew that my life with Grandfather was dying. Somewhere inside, I knew that I had to leave him behind and make a life for myself outside his huge shadow. He was spending so much time protecting me from the terrible things in the universe that he wasn't able to experience its wonders for himself. And that was why he left our people after all, not for me. <laughs> I was an accidental passenger, a hanger-on. But so that he could see the beauty and the majesty of creation firsthand rather than just watch it on a screen, in a sealed city, on a planet, hidden behind energy barricades that nobody could get through. <laughs> nobody apart from him. If I want to stop these nightmares and these voices, then I need to write them down, get them out of my head. If nothing else, it's not fair on my husband. He doesn't understand the things I've seen. He can't help but think of me as human. And I can't help but let him. Makes things easier for both of us. It happened when Ian and Barbara were travelling in the TARDIS. They'd been with Grandfather and I for a while by then. We were comfortable in our little extended family. They'd stopped thinking of me as a schoolgirl, although they hadn't realised that I was already older than both of them put together. And like my husband, they never would. The sound shook the TARDIS like a terrier shaking a rat. It was a terrible sound, like someone had just stabbed the universe and it was crying out in pain. 
Barbara would have fallen and hit her head against the sharp corner of the console if Ian hadn't caught her. He stood there, frozen for a few moments, him holding her, her being held, and both of them not quite knowing what to do next. I wanted to tell Ian to keep holding her, to pull her closer, to kiss her. But he would have just frowned at me in exasperation and set her on her feet again. I wonder if they ever did get together. I hope so. I really hope so. Grandfather's hand sped over the TARDIS controls as if he knew what he was doing. Although I knew it was mainly an act he put on for the two of them. He knew how to take off and land and how to open and close the main doors. But apart from that, he was all at sea. He was learning. But he still made mistakes. He used to tell Ian and Barbara that the TARDIS was faulty, that he couldn't predict where it was going to land. But the truth was that the entire navigation system was a mystery to him, and he had yet to establish that mystical bond with the TARDIS that, according to the legends, our people were supposed to have had. Curious, most curious, he said stroking his chin and putting his head to one side. Something is sending shockwaves through the space-time continuum. Ian walked over to stand beside him. Barbara just watched Ian move away, looking slightly forlorn. Is it a natural phenomenon? he asked. Oh, I don't think so, Grandfather said, giving Ian a pitying look, even though I could tell he wasn't sure himself. It was too... Precise to target it. Could you not hear the way the resonances were being suppressed? Mm-hmm. And there were the overtones as well. Mm, some kind of added modulation. I think the TARDIS is landing, Barbara said. And she was right. We could all hear the sound of the great time engines slowly pulling the ship back into real space and time. was first through the door, with Barbara behind him. Grandfather stayed for a moment by the console, his hand on the door control. He gazed at the open door with a look on his face that I'd seen before. Part of him wanted to close it and take off again, leaving Ian and Barbara behind. But instead, he glanced over at me and took his hand off the control. Shall we join them, my dear? he asked. Outside the TARDIS, we found Ian and Barbara standing in what looked like a tangle of vines and bushes and tree trunks. I could smell ozone, and beneath that, the rich scent of damp vegetation. Have we landed in a forest again? I asked. I still remembered that petrified forest on Scarrow. And the things that lived there. I don't think so, Ian said. There are walls through here. And look at the floor. It's metal, too. We are on some kind of spacecraft, Grandfather said. Hmm, look at how the leaves are shaking. The motion is too regular to be caused by the wind. I think you will find that it is the vibration of some kind of space drive. Oh, they're just hungry, Ian muttered. Grandfather just looked at him superciliously over the top of his glasses. Honestly, I was getting tired of the way those two used to fight for the upper hand. 
Judging by her expression, Barbara was too. A jungle on a spaceship? She asked, sceptically. We could be in the hydroponic section, Ian said. Plants providing oxygen for the crew. Grandfather snorted. Oh, or perhaps the crew were marmosets. <laughs> the explanation could be any number of things, my boy. There seems to be a path through the vegetation, I said, pointing. A corridor, Grandfather proclaimed, as if he'd discovered it himself. Shall we see where it leads? I would like to track down the source of that noise. Whatever it is, it worries me. It is far too powerful to be safe. <laughs> he was very shrewd, your Grandfather. Sometimes. And sometimes he could act like a spoilt child. I often forget that although he looked old, he was actually no more than an adolescent as far as our people went. And I was just a baby. So what did that make Ian and Barbara? Pets, perhaps? Not that. Never that. We all headed off through the undergrowth, hacking our way through where we could and detouring where it was too thick. Every now and then we came across a bulkhead or a door made out of some bluish metal or a table covered in tendrils and tiny trembling leaves. And everywhere there was that heavy, humid smell, like a tropical greenhouse. It was Barbara who spotted it first. Is it my imagination? she asked. Or are those leaves turning Follow us as we move. Stand still, everyone, Ian said. We did. You know, I think you're right. They aren't moving as much. Now, Susan, take a step forward. Look. Look at that. Those leaves are actually tracking you. Doctor, what do you make of that? Oh, I was wondering when you would spot it, Grandfather said in an offhand manner. I had realised when we were back outside the ship. Ian just looked at him and shook his head in exasperation. Grandfather smiled back. He had scored another point. After a while, we came to an arch that led into a larger room. Are those bushes? Barbara asked, pointing towards some clumps of vegetation in the centre of the room. Hmm, too regular, Ian said. Look at the corners and the edges. There's something underneath. He and Barbara started pulling the vegetation off. Look, he said. It's a control console of some kind. I can see buttons and switches and levers and some dials as well. Oh, let me see, Grandfather said, pushing past Ian. Yes, you've hit upon something, young man. It is a control console and it is powered up. These panels appear to be displaying the status of some kind of energy field. And I don't like the way it is building. Some kind of catastrophic discharge is about to happen. Like that noise we heard back in the TARDIS, Barbara asked. Very much so, Grandfather replied. Chesterton, will you hold those vines back? I can hardly see the panels. I am holding them back, Ian replied. As I watched... The leaves that covered the consoles seemed to rise and shift. They're moving, I cried. Look, they're shifting to fill the gap. Barbara moved to stand beside me. 
those tendrils are curling around that lever. I'll try and get them off, Ian said, reaching through the bushes and getting a grip on the tendrils. No, it's... it's no good. No, they're too tight. I can't shift them. Look, Barbara breathed. They're pulling the lever down. My God, Ian murmured. The vegetation is actually operating the controls. As I watched, the lever slid down from one position to another, and without warning, we were all thrown to the floor. Ian helped me up and then went to help Grandfather. I'm not an invalid, you know, Grandfather snapped. Sit him his right, will you, while I check those controls again. He brushed the leaves away, and this time they seemed not to want to fight their way back. Hmm, yes, he said thoughtfully. As I suspected, the energy has been discharged, and it is building up again from zero. The next discharge will occur in less than an hour. I do believe that we will need to find the control room and talk to the captain of this vessel. I thought this was the control room, Barbara said. There are controls in the room, Grandfather corrected. But this is some kind of subsidiary area with equipment separate from the ship's engines and navigation systems. Nope. We need to find the main controls. Perhaps we could just follow the vines back to their roots, Ian murmured. Very intelligent suggestion, Grandfather said, as if it didn't happen very often. You must be having an effect on you, young Chesterton. <laughs> we tracked the vines through corridors and hallways, round corners and junctions, all the time choosing the direction where the tendrils got thicker and heavier. I couldn't help but worry about what we were going to find when we traced them back to their source. We were passing a doorway half hidden by a hanging curtain of vegetation when Barbara said... <gasps> Look in there. The plants look different. I stood beside her, peering into the gloom, trying to see what she meant. And she was right. The leaves inside were brown and curled up, and they didn't appear to be tracking us the way the others were. Ian reached out and pulled a leaf off one of the dry, brittle vines in the room. Be careful, Grandfather snapped. This is all part of some living creature that has purpose and intent. But this is dead, Ian said, examining the leaf. Hmm. I thought you were a science teacher, Grandfather said. Your hair is dead too, but you might object if someone decided to grab a handful and pull it out. <laughs> Ian opened his mouth to respond, but Barbara shook her head minutely and Ian turned away silent. They both knew that they were effectively still on probation with Grandfather, and probably always would be. We kept on walking. I was getting tired by this time, and Barbara had to keep hanging back so that I didn't get left behind. Typically, Grandfather tutted at her, and not at me, for being tardy. I smiled an apology at her. She smiled back. We went down ramps and around corners and upstairs. There were no elevators that I noticed. All of the areas of the ship appeared to be interconnected. 
probably so that the vines could grow everywhere. The air was heavy with water that seemed to be sprayed from tiny nozzles in the ceiling. I could see it dripping off the leaves and onto the floor, where it trickled away through gratings. Whatever the vines were, they were intentional. The ship was built for them. We found corridors where all of the vines were brown and dry, and the floor was carpeted with dead leaves that crunched underfoot as we walked, and rooms where the vines hung slackly from the wall in tangled, brittle knots. Something was wrong on this ship. Something was very wrong. And then we found the ship's bridge. We couldn't mistake it. For a start, it was the largest room we'd seen up to that point. A huge hall with a vaulted ceiling festooned with greenery. The walls were lined with display screens and controls, with vines curled around each button and lever. And the far wall was either open to space or the most detailed and largest view screen I'd ever seen. And hanging from the ceiling, like some vast organic chandelier, was a trunk-like swollen mass of bark and moss and roots that looked at us with eyes like bunches of black grapes. Vines led away from it through every doorway to the rest of the ship. What is it? Barbara breathed. The captain, Grandfather replied. The captain and the crew. He walked forward and tucked his thumbs behind the lapels of his jacket, leaning his head back and gazing at the thing hanging in the centre of the bridge. I am the doctor, he pronounced. Whom do I have the honour of addressing? There was a rustling in the branches and roots. A rustling became a voice. I am Rostrum, it said, and you are trespassers, or stowaways, or vermin, perhaps. Either way, you are not welcome here. Please leave. We are none of those things, Grandfather said. We are travellers, and we appear to have been hijacked by some action of yours, hmm? Hijacked, I say. Explain yourself. Hijacked, the creature said thoughtfully. Not by design, not through deliberate action, but accidentally. My memories are incomplete. I do not appear to have any knowledge of your arrival here. And yet, here you are. Barbara stepped forward. You're damaged, she said. We saw some areas where your leaves seem to have died away. Is that why your memories are incomplete? <sighs> the creature rumbled. It is possible. I had suspected that parts of my being were dead or dying. I have been in space for some time now, and there is no horticulturalist on board. There are some areas of this ship that are closed off to me now. 
and some of those areas contain the seed pods where my memories are stored. What is this ship? Grandfather asked. This is the EBV Nevermore, Rostrum replied proudly. Ian frowned. EBV, he asked. What does that stand for? It stands for Earth Benchmarking Vessel, Barbara said. There's a nameplate over here on the wall. Earth Benchmarking Vessel Nevermore. Captain Rostrum. Brackets. Artificial Vegetative Life Form. Close brackets. Vegetative Life, Grandfather mused. I had no idea that genetic manipulation was so far advanced in this era. Tell me, what year is this? In human terms, I do not know, said Rostrum. In vegetable terms, it is 338 years since we were created by humanity to crew their vessels and thus free their time for other things such as sculpture and music and meditative contemplation. Meditative contemplation? Ian scoffed. Sounds more like dozing to me. Is that what the human race has come to? It is not my place to judge, Rostrum said calmly. We merely crew the ships between the stars, moving cargo back and forth, taking passengers, pushing back the boundaries of the human empire, and fighting the occasional small war. That's what we were designed for. That is what we do. But we are a new race, and there are still some genetic quirks, anomalies, that need to be worked on. Parasites, sudden large-scale death of leaves and branches. Sometimes even poisoning from heavy metals in the ship's hull. Isn't it boring? Barbara asked. Just hanging there, piloting this ship, with nobody to talk to? Rostrum's foliage rustled. I got the impression it was laughing at her. I am a vegetable, he said finally. In my genes, I have a hundred billion years of reaching for the sun and never getting there, of opening my petals when it is light and closing them again when it is dark. Vegetables thrive on boredom. That is why we were created by humanity, to accomplish this task. And now, into my calm, placid routine, you arrive, questioning, arguing, moving around. Why are you here, travelers? What is written in your genes? Grandfather gazed up at Rostrum's heavy bulk as it hung in the vaulted ceiling above us. Our journey was interrupted, he said, an accusing tone in his voice. Interrupted, I say, and in the most abrupt manner. Something on this spacecraft is causing damage to the space-time continuum, and I think it should be stopped. You refer to the benchmarking activity, do you? Perhaps I do, sir. Grandfather said, nodding. 
Please explain. Rostrum shifted, vines altering their position on stanchions and buttresses. A simple navigational process, it whispered. I had a feeling that the voice was being created by the deliberate rustling together of many, many leaves all around the control room. A means of taming the unknown tracks of the universe and bending them to human will. Navigation, Barbara said. Far in advance of technology from your time, Grandfather said. He could be so condescending at times. It sounds like what was happening with the English and Spanish navies in the 17th century, Barbara continued, as though she hadn't heard him or as if she was just ignoring him. They set off into the unknown oceans with no real means of working out where they were going to. Pointing themselves towards the horizon and sailing on blindly just didn't work. The winds could take them off course and so could the currents. The navigators could just about work out their latitude based on how high the sun got at its highest point, but they had no way of checking their longitude. There are currents in space, Rostrum murmured. Gravitational currents, and light itself travels slowly compared to our ships. You cannot just point at a star and go, because that's where the star was hundreds or thousands of years ago. Not where it is now. I suddenly remembered one of Barbara's lessons back in Coehill School. Didn't the Admiralty offer a prize to whoever could solve the problem? Yes, they did. Barbara was slipping into her lecturing mode now. She did it every now and then when she was talking about a subject she felt comfortable on, which wasn't that often these days. In the end, it all depended on time. If they could develop a way of knowing when it was noon in London, as well as noon on the ship, then they could work out the time difference between the two, and then calculate the distance as a fraction of the Earth's circumference. In the end, a watchmaker won the prize with a clock that would not lose or gain time, no matter what the temperature or the humidity. But they had some strange suggestions in the meantime. What kind of things? Ian asked, intrigued. There was something called sympathetic powder, Barbara replied. You were supposed to sprinkle it on a knife or a sword blade, and anyone who had been injured by the blade would feel pain. So the suggestion was that every ship leaving England carried with it a dog that had been stabbed with a particular knife, not killed, but just wounded. At noon every day, someone in the Admiralty would sprinkle this sympathetic powder on the knife, and all around the world, dogs would suddenly whimper on their ships. That way, the captains would know that it was noon in London, and they could calculate where they were by the difference in times. Barbaric, Grandfather muttered. Perhaps, Ian said, but it shows a logical system of thought, albeit one based on a flawed initial premise. He turned to Rostrum. So, how does your benchmarking work? I hope it's got more science behind it than sympathetic powder. We use gravitational singularities to punch holes in the fabric of space, Rostrum said calmly. We do it every tenth of a light year, and we encode into the edges of the hole information on how far the hole is from Earth and in which direction 
relative to the center of the galaxy. This ship is the first, but there will be many more. Once we have finished, we will have a grid that spans the entire galaxy, so that spacecraft will always know where they are and in which direction to go. And that is my task. That is my honor. Creating benchmarks so that humanity can navigate to the stars. That is monstrous, Grandfather exploded. Monstrous, I say. Ian frowned at him. It seems like an elegant solution, he said. Ignoring Ian, Grandfather turned and scowled at Rostrum. Do you not realize the dangers inherent in this this act of interstellar vandalism? That the fabric of space-time is weak, weaker in some places than in others. You cannot go around willy-nilly cutting holes in it. What if it tears? What if space and time should start to unravel around the holes? Where would you be then? The theory is sound, Rostrum whispered. The mathematics are unarguable. That is irrelevant, Grandfather snapped. I could tell that he was badly shaken. You are playing with forces you do not understand. There are things living in the deep, dark space beneath space. Things like the sea monsters that sailors used to fear on Earth. But these things are real. They rarely come to the surface. And when they do, they rarely find a way through. But if you punch holes through to their domain, then you are providing an avenue for them to use to enter the real universe. This abomination must stop. Do you hear me? It must stop now. Grandfather and Captain Rostrum began to argue then, and I quickly lost track of what they were saying. In the end, they were each defending an entrenched position, and neither one was willing to shift. Grandfather was adamant about the dangers of making holes in the universe, while Rostrum was equally adamant that it had been proved safe. Ian and Barbara spent their time trying to calm both of them down. In the end, I got bored, and I wandered off. The Nevermore seemed a lot safer now that we'd met its captain and knew what it was doing. The mystery had been solved. As I walked, I found a gallery with a thousand portholes through which the cold light of the stars shone. I found rooms filled with strange fruit, which I guessed were where Rostrum stored its memories. I found whole areas of the ship where the leaves there were brown and dead, crunching underfoot, and Rostrum's tendrils were brittle and broke off when I brushed against them. And in the middle of these areas... I found the ship's engines, vast machines, humming with expectant energy. And you found me. You were working on one of the engines. I was surprised, because I'd assumed that Rostrum was the only crew on the ship. And you looked human, not like a vegetable. You shouldn't be here. I'm sorry, I was just exploring. How did you get on board? And with my grandfather and some friends... Our ship crashed here by accident. Something to do with benchmarking, I think. (laughs) It doesn't surprise me. My grandfather says it's a dangerous process. And what do you think? I think he's right. 
Grandfather's always right. Can't you stop it? I'm not the captain of this vessel. I assumed that Rostrum was the captain and the crew, and that there weren't any humans on board. I thought that humanity was turning into a species of dreamers and artists. That's the impression it gave us anyway. And that's part of the problem. Humanity treats mathematics like art now. If an equation is beautiful and symmetrical, then it must be true. And sometimes beauty can hide all kinds of third and fourth order effects. Sometimes ugly is true and beauty is a lie. Is it hot here? You should leave. There are energies round here that might be harmful to you if you stay. Look at the leaves, look at the branches. Why would anyone build a spaceship that could cause harm to people? <laughs> you know, I've been asking myself the same question. Oh, I feel tingly all along my arms and shoulders. You really shouldn't stay here. It's dangerous. Well, what about you? Oh, I'm used to it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just here temporarily. I didn't sign on with Captain Rostrum. <laughs> I'm a traveller too, in a sense. Grandfather's trying to persuade Captain Rostrum to stop the benchmarking. And what about you? What do you think? I guess that Grandfather's right. You should make your own decisions, child. Don't always assume that your grandfather knows best. If we all did that, then nobody would ever make any progress. Well, he's looked after me ever since we... we left. But look at you now, wandering around by yourself. You obviously want to make your own decisions, whether you realize it or not. He needs me. I need him. There comes a point when you need to stretch your own wings. You, you can't spend the rest of your life following someone else, you know. You have to take responsibility for your own actions. I never more suddenly began to shake. For a moment, I thought it was the benchmarking again, punching another hole in the universe, but this was different. What was that? It sounded like something blew up. The area's been sealed off by airtight doors, so the atmosphere won't leak away, but the ship can't take much damage like that. It's a surprisingly fragile structure. Can Captain Rostrum repair the damage? Well, not if it can't sense it. And you can see that bits of its body are dying off all over the place. I need to get to the bridge so I can tell it what's happened. You go. I'll stay here and monitor the situation. I rushed back the way I'd come, all the way to the bridge. I was feeling weak and dizzy, and I assumed it was the effects of the explosion. Perhaps the crewman was wrong. Perhaps the air from the Nevermore was leaking into space. When I reached the bridge... I found Grandfather and Ian and Barbara all looking at the huge view screen. The last time I'd seen it, all that was on it was stars. Now it showed an alien spacecraft, all spines and fins, like a tropical fish. Dangerous. Venomous. What happened? I asked. Good question, Ian said. That spaceship just appeared and started shooting at us. No warning or anything. Our engines are damaged, Rostrum whispered. We are drifting. Drifting. Can't we communicate with them? Barbara asked. Rostrum shuddered. They are not responding. Then defend yourself, Grandfather barked. This is a scientific mission, said Rostrum. We have no armaments. 
No missiles. No energy weapons. No shields. Look! Ian shouted. It's firing again. I could see a whole swarm of missiles spilling from the alien spacecraft like little minnows. They all turned around and headed straight for us. Atomic warheads, Rostrum whispered. We have no defences. Barbara reached out to take Ian's hand as we watched the missiles race closer and closer to the ship. watching as the missiles sped towards us and thinking that there was no way we could survive their impact. We were dead. And then... Space itself seemed to rip from a point near the Nevermore to a point infinitely far away. An impossible light made up of colours nobody had ever seen before, like some insane rainbow and something squeezed through the gap tentacles made up of energy that were either scintillating like diamonds or glowing with the blackness of empty eternity the tentacles wrapped themselves around the alien ship and pulled it into the fissure smaller tentacles wrapped themselves around every single missile and pulled them into the fissure as well we were safe. We hadn't done a thing to save ourselves. But we were safe. Ian just looked at the screen, incredulous. What in heaven's name was that? He breathed. That, said Grandfather, was one of the monstrous beings that live beneath space, always hungry, always alert, and it has broken through into our dimensions now. He turned to Rostrum. Thanks to you and your disastrous interference with the structure of space. Do you realise what you have done, son? Rostrum was uncharacteristically silent. And then... I am picking up a message, it said quietly. I believe that it comes from the captain of the vessel that fired on us. The vessel that was pulled out of space. It seems that the captain managed to launch a distressed boy just before his ship vanished. Translation programs have filtered the content. Emergency! Emergency! To all military and civilian vessels! My ship has been destroyed while engaging a belligerent enemy vessel! This vessel was discovered to be sabotaging space around our major trade routes! 
When engaged, the enemy deployed some kind of trap that has swallowed my ship. This is a deliberate act of aggression. All forces beware. Our space is being invaded. Our space is being sabotaged. Remember me. Remember me. And it was gone. An alien captain with perhaps a wife and family. A member of a race that was just protecting their borders from what it saw as an act of aggression. Yes, perhaps it shouldn't have fired on us, but perhaps the Nevermore shouldn't have gone around blithely making holes in space near other people's star systems. Even though it tried to kill us, I can't say I really blame it. Grandfather turned to Rostrum. Now do you understand? He hissed. What you are doing is not only dangerous for the fabric of the universe, but it is also inflammatory for the races that live here. Did you ask their permission before you sailed into their space and started modifying it for your own purposes? Did you? Rostrum was silent for a few moments. Eventually, its huge bulk shifted uncomfortably. We assumed they would be grateful, it muttered. Making navigation simpler for everyone is surely a generous act. Not if you haven't thought it through properly, Grandfather insisted. Acts of charity are rarely welcomed. Ian stepped forward. I don't understand, he said. What happened out there? Grandfather turned to him, and this time his demeanour was neither patronising nor aggressive. It was as deeply worried as I had ever seen it. That, he said simply, was the fabric, the very structure of space, being pulled apart. The actions of Captain Rostrum here in punching holes into space were the catalyst, and the explosion of that first flurry of missiles was the direct cause. Space just frayed apart starting at the most recent benchmark and probably running a tenth of a light year all the way to the last one. And will it stop here? Ian said. His tone of voice indicated that he didn't believe it. Can this area just be, I don't know, cordoned off or something? Grandfather shook his head, his white hair moving gently around his face. Any small disturbance might cause another rip between two other holes. The problem will escalate, dear boy, with more and more rips forming until a whole section of space just detaches and floats away, leaving them to feed at their leisure. And we are drifting, Rostrum added. Our engines are damaged. I might be able to repair them. But we are drifting towards that fissure. Grandfather beckoned me to one side. We moved away from Ian and Barbara, and he took me by the arm. There is one possible solution, my dear, he said quietly. I might be able to use the immense power of the TARDIS's time engines to heal the fissure. The problem is that I think it will destroy the TARDIS. Yes, I really do. We would be left here without a means of transport, stuck in one time, in one place... Forever. But we would have saved the universe, I said. Yes, he said. 
and I could tell that he was weighing the pros and cons in his mind. He really could be quite selfish at times. Grandfather and Captain Rostrum started to bicker then. The captain seemed reluctant to accept any responsibility for what had happened, and I can't say I blame him. It's not every day you get told you've just destroyed the universe. Ian tried to be his usual logical, analytical self, and Barbara tried to act as peacemaker. I decided that I would be more use asking the crewman I'd seen before whether he thought the engines could be repaired, so I wandered off to find him. Eventually... I found myself in an area of the ship which I hadn't seen before. Large power cables fed into spherical tanks the size of a small asteroid. Rostrum's leaves and vines were all dead or dying here as well. And I began to wonder just how widespread and how serious this disease was. You have a habit of wandering into areas where you shouldn't be. Well, there weren't any warning signs. Nonetheless, this area is not safe. Not for you. But go back to where you came from. Where is this place? It's where the gravitational singularities that trigger the benchmarking are stored. Each one of those tanks contains one singularity trapped inside a magnetic pine bottle. By dropping the magnetic fields briefly, Captain Rostrum can cause the singularities to momentarily plunge through the skin of things like a knitting needle through a piece of cloth. He then re-establishes the magnetic field and the singularity is pulled back. It's very economical, very well thought out. And so very, very dangerous. Why have seven of them? Surely the captain only needs one. Just... Punching a hole through reality every tenth of a light year isn't really sufficient for navigation. The other six singularities are used to inscribe gravitational information on the boundaries of the hole, which number hole it is, for instance. That way, any weary traveller who uses the benchmarks for navigation can tell where they are and where they need to go. You, you said... you said that you were a traveller, too. Uh, uh, this um, position <laughs> is only a temporary thing. I tend to move about a lot, doing some tasks here, clearing up a mess there. I get bored easily. The trouble is that I keep getting involved in situations where interest is a synonym for danger. Like now. You sound like us, bouncing around at random and solving problems that someone else has caused. Do you have a ship? Here on the Nevermore? I, uh, I have a means of transport, yes. It's just that Grandfather believes that he can heal the fissure, but it means destroying our own ship. Well, it's very public-spirited of him. He hasn't said he'll do it yet, just that he could. But if he does, we'll be trapped. But you're human, and this is a human ship. Captain Rostrum can take you and your friends to somewhere safe, somewhere benign. Ian and Barbara would probably appreciate that, and Grandfather could do with a holiday, even though he says not. He might even be able to build another TARDIS eventually, but me, I'd go mad if I had to stay in one place, letting him fuss around me. I need to see things. If there's one thing he's taught me, it's that the universe is out there to be experienced... Not just observed from a distance. Where I am going, you cannot come. Don't you ever get lonely? 
Don't you yearn for company sometimes? There is a difference between being alone and being lonely. You aren't looking well. Perhaps you should go back to your friends. Well, I wouldn't be any trouble. I'm sure you would try your best, but nobody ever sets out to be trouble. They, they just are. But this is irrelevant. Even if I wanted to take you with me, I couldn't. It really would be impossible for reasons I can't really explain. But I could probably drop you off somewhere. A planet with a decent-sized spaceport, perhaps. You could hitch a lift with someone. Keep traveling further and further out. See new and intriguing things on the frontiers of human exploration. <laughs> now, please go. I have work to do. By myself? Why not? I'm sure you could take care of yourself. Or do you always need a grandfather figure to fall back on, to fuss around you? That's not fair. Actually, it might be fair. A bit. But it's a scary prospect, heading off on your own for the first time. Look around you. It's a scary prospect, having the universe ripping itself apart just a little way from where we're standing. Talking of which, I need to get on, if you would let me. Oh, it is incredibly hot down here. I'm not... Uh, I'm not feeling very well. Turn round and go now, while you still can. But I... Oh, oh, I can't move. Oh, please, help me. I cannot. I'm sorry. From where I lay on the floor, I could see his boots. For a moment, he stood there, looking down at me. And then, he walked away. I couldn't believe what he'd done. I tried to call out, but I couldn't make a sound. And then he was gone. And I was left alone there, crumpled up, feeling my life draining out of me. What was it? The singularities, perhaps? The fissure in space? Or was it something else? Perhaps whatever was affecting the vines and the leaves of Captain Rostrum? I think I fell asleep for a while. Or drifted in and out of consciousness, at least. I suddenly woke up when I heard Barbara's voice. Susan! she cried. What happened? I tried to answer, but no words would come. I came looking for you. We didn't know where you'd gone. She bent down and put her hands beneath my shoulders. Let me help you get upright. Did you slip? With her help, I managed to get to my feet. I could feel my strength coming back, bit by bit. I just felt faint, I said. What happened to that crewman? What crewman? Barbara asked. The one I was talking to. He just left me here and walked away. I haven't seen anyone, she said. Together we hobbled back to the ship's bridge. By the time we got there I was almost able to walk properly. And I was feeling almost normal. Almost. Grandfather was still arguing with Captain Rostrum about the effects of the benchmarking and what they could do now. He was trying to persuade the captain to repair the engines, return to Earth, and convince whoever was controlling the planet now to stop the benchmarking program for good. I could tell, from what he was saying, that he'd already assumed that he would have to use the great power of the TARDIS to heal the fissure. 
All he wanted now was to ensure that his effort, his sacrifice, was not in vain and that some other benchmarking ship wouldn't cause a similar problem in a few days or weeks or months. Ian, bless him, was being desperately logical in a field which he didn't really understand. He kept on trying to explain things, using analogies to fabric, paper and layers of ice on Arctic oceans, and just succeeded in confusing himself even more. The fissure wasn't like any of these things. It was what it was. When Barbara and I arrived, Grandfather broke off what he was saying and came straight over to me. Child, he said gently, what happened, hmm? You worried me by wandering off like that. Barbara squared up to Captain Rostrum. You need to have a word with your crew, she snapped, in the kind of voice she used to use to take assembly back at Coal Hill School. One of them left poor Susan unconscious on the deck. He just walked away and left her. But I have no crew, Rostrum breathed. There is only me, my vines, my tendrils, my roots and my leaves. Apart from me and the four of you, there are no other living creatures aboard this ship. Are you sure? I asked. I talked to him. Twice. What was his name? Ian asked, always the relentlessly factual one. I don't know. I didn't ask. Perhaps he is an intruder, hmm? Hmm? Grandfather mused. Perhaps he is one of your party. Rostrum rejoined, a darker tone creeping into his voice. Creeping around and sabotaging my ship. Perhaps you have decided to stop arguing about the benchmarking and start acting. Don't be foolish, Grandfather snapped. You would know if someone was moving around in the ship. Your eyes are everywhere, everywhere. Not everywhere, Barbara said. In some places, the leaves and branches are dying, remember? The captain can't see into those areas. That's why he didn't see us arrive. Ian turned to me. When you saw this unnamed crewman, he asked, where was he? Were the leaves alive or dead in those areas? A horrible realization washed over me. Dead, I said. Everywhere. They were dead. Ian looked grim. Then he was taking advantage of those dead areas to move around, he said. Or, Grandfather countered grimly, he deliberately caused the dead areas to cover his tracks. This is all very mysterious and very worrying. Hmm? He turned to Rostrum, energized. We will need maps of those areas where you no longer have sense or motion, he said. Can you provide them? Rostrum was still suspicious. Why should I provide them? Because this mysterious stranger is hiding in those areas. You will also need to alert us if any new areas start to die. He glanced at Ian and Barbara. We will search those areas one by one, hmm? We will have to split up and whoever catches this man must bring him to the bridge. Or to an area where I am alive. Rostrum whispered, so that I can hold him, restrain him, move him here. I stepped forward. I want to help, I said. 
dear child. Grandfather shook his head sadly. I could not possibly let you take a risk like that. He's happy for us to take the risk, Ian muttered to Barbara. She wasn't listening to him. She put her hand on my arm. You're unwell, she said. You should stay here. I am not a child anymore, I said, probably more petulantly than I had intended. And I'm not an invalid. If the universe is at risk, I would like to think I have a vested interest in helping to save it. That showed them. In the end, they all gave in, even Grandfather. As we all left in different directions, each with the maps that Rostrum had supplied, I caught him glancing over at me with a strange expression on his face. I think he had suddenly realised that I was growing up, and I don't think he was entirely comfortable with the idea. We'd all been assigned to an area to search, based on the areas where Rostrum knew he was dying off. I had an advantage, however. I knew where I had seen my mysterious friend before. I knew which areas of the ship he was working in. So when the areas were assigned, I made sure that my one was down in that direction. And I found him. It took me half an hour, but I found him again. He was standing in the control room, where Grandfather Ian, Barbara and I had first seen Rostrum's tendrils pulling the lever that operated the benchmarking process. Then the tendrils had been green and alive. Now they were brown and twisted. You're killing it, I said. Wherever you go, you're killing it. And it's killing so many others through its actions. Very simple ethical equation. Very beautiful, if you like beauty in your mathematics. Who are you? I am the opposite of you, just as you are the opposite of me. You're not making any... Hardly. What's wrong with me? You need to get away from me. You keep saying that, but why? Don't you understand? I am draining your life away, just as I am draining the life from Captain Rostrum. But why would you do that? Not through choice, believe me. I need to know. Stay away! I don't want to be responsible for your death. I'm going to keep following you until either you tell me what you're doing here or I just curl up and die like Rostrum's leaves. You don't know what you're asking. I know you're not human. What I don't know is what you're doing on this ship. But you're going to tell me. He stopped backing away and turned to face me. I thought for a second he was going to do what I asked. Tell me what he was doing there on Rostrum's ship. But instead, Ian and Grandfather suddenly appeared from a side corridor. Ian grabbed him round the arms while Grandfather hit him over the head with something. It might have been a section of dead branch from Captain Rostrum. I wasn't sure. He crumpled to the deck. I screamed, although I'm not sure whether it was from relief or frustration. Don't worry, child, Grandfather said triumphantly. We have him now. Quick, Chesterton, drag him to the storage areas. We can restrain him there. We'd better take turns, Ian wheezed. He was looking pale already. Based on what he said, he could somehow sap our energy if he's near us. Let's change over every ten yards or so. He looked at Grandfather critically. Or every five yards in your case, he added. 
grandfather and Ian dragged the intruder through the corridors, swapping over when one of them felt too weak to continue. Just a couple of minutes standing at a distance from him seemed to help them recover. After a while, Barbara joined them and helped out. I just trailed along behind them, trying to work out what to do, watching Rostrum's vines begin to shrink away and turn yellow as we passed, and then gradually move back after we'd gone. Intruder? You never introduce yourself. I didn't know what to call you, how to refer to you. I still don't. <laughs> I meant to tell you that I was Captain Rostrum's first mate, although by the time I got a chance you'd already worked out I wasn't part of his crew. I suppose it's never too late. Eventually the first mate was tied up and locked in a storage area, and I managed to get Grandfather alone while Ian and Barbara sat and rested together, Barbara's head on Ian's shoulder. It was odd, looking at Grandfather now, having spent time with the first mate. The two of them were so alike. Both old, both white-haired, both quite imperious in their looks and their attitude. And yet, there was something softer in the first mate, something I'd rarely seen in Grandfather. Well done, child, for keeping him distracted, Grandfather said. Now we have him imprisoned, we might be able to get to the bottom of what's going on. I strongly suspect that he has a connection to that fissure outside the ship. Perhaps he knows a way of fixing it, hmm? Grandfather, listen to me, I said. I don't think he's dangerous. We've talked. He seems so nice. Niceness is no guarantee of ethical behaviour, my dear. He gazed at me, a twinkle in his eyes. But you have always been a good judge of human nature. Either way, I think I should talk to him. Can I come in too? I asked. Of course, of course. But we must stay on the opposite side of the room to him. And if you start feeling unwell, then we will leave. And if you start feeling unwell? That isn't very likely, is it? He chuckled. Don't forget who and what I am. We went into the storage room together. The first mate was sitting against the wall. You need to free me. The most terrible things will happen if you don't. Is that a threat? Hmm? Grandfather asked. No, it's a prediction. Who are you? Where do you come from? You know that already, child. You're from the other side of the fissure, aren't you? Grandfather glanced across at me. Quite impossible, he snapped. There are nothing but monsters lurking beneath the surface of space. Nothing but monsters. <laughs> it's curious. That's what they say about this side on the other side. Of course, there, this is the underneath, and we are living on the surface. <laughs> Grandfather turned to the first mate in surprise. Are you really trying to tell me that there are civilizations there? That there is intelligent Ethical life. It's all emergent behavior. Reality leads to complexity. Complexity leads to life. Life leads to civilization. And civilization leads to ethics. Doesn't matter which side of the divide you live on, the pressures are the same. Well, bless my soul, Grandfather said. Not life as you would recognize it, of course. Different patterns of energy, different structures of matter. I took this form when I came across, basing it on the picture I found in this girl's mind. But even so, part of my previous nature persists. I find that 
My existence is antithetical to yours. I drain your life energy, sap your strength. If you pass through the membrane of space into my realm, my home, you'd probably do the same to me. And what is it that you want here? Grandfather said. I could see from his expression that he was intrigued. Why did you pass through the membrane, as you call it? The actions of this ship are causing great distress to us. Vast tracts of our space are being laid waste by the effects of this benchmarking. It has to stop. I have to stop it. That is my task. By force? Grandfather asked. If necessary. By guile, if I can. <laughs> Through intelligent conversation, if I have the choice. Then we must help you, Grandfather said. I wasn't sure if he was completely convinced by the first mate, or whether he was just grateful for an alternative to sacrificing the TARDIS. Susan, free this gentleman, and we will escort him to Captain Rostrum, where he will explain his case. Before I could move, I suddenly heard a rustling sound and shouting from the corridor. Doctor! Ian yelled. We're held fast in Rostrum's vines. We can't move! Captain! What are you doing? Grandfather snapped. Through the movement of the vines, I could just make out Rostrum's voice from the corridor outside. You have betrayed me, he was saying. You are all working together to sabotage my mission. The benchmarking will continue, and you will all stay here and rot. If you are still alive when I return to Earth, I will deliver you to the authorities then. Think logically, Ian shouted. Your vines and leaves didn't die when we walked past them, only when the intruder did. We can't be working together. I have never seen this intruder, Ostrom said remorselessly. I only have your word that he even exists. But the fissure, Grandfather shouted, I have explained to you the inherent dangers. You could cause destruction on a catastrophic scale, not just to this universe, but to another as well. Words, just words, Rostrum called. I distrust everything you say. Grandfather turned to the first mate. We need your assistance, he said grimly. What can we do? I believe I have learned enough about the way this benchmarking process works that I can seal the fissure, but I need to return to my own form to do so. <laughs> this flesh is too limiting. Then do it! Do it now! But if I change form now, I will kill you all. The rate at which I absorb your energy will be exponentially increased. Every living thing within half a light year will die. You were gazing directly at me when you said that, and I could see something in your eyes. I wasn't sure if it was regret, or hope, or something completely alien to my experience. I just know that I responded to it. Do it anyway! Don't worry about us! Grandfather suddenly thumped his fist into his palm. The TARDIS, of course! TARDIS? My ship, Grandfather explained. It sits outside time and space. We will be safe there if we can make it. Ian must have been listening from the corridor. 
But Captain Rostrum will never let us go, he called. It's stalemate. I stared at you. How slowly can you change? I asked. I can hold back the transformation for a while. The effects will grow gradually. Enough to weaken Rostrum's vines and allow us to escape back to the TARDIS? I don't know. I, I don't know if I can hold it back for so long. You must try, Grandfather said. Your body began to glow and shift. And all the while you were staring at me. Staring into me. Would have been interesting traveling with you. Was that you speaking then or now? Perhaps both. But it's fatal, isn't it? Healing the fissure requires all of your power. You can't survive it. Was that you speaking then or now? Perhaps both. I always knew there was no way back. Go. Go now. We ran, Grandfather and I. In the room behind us, your body turned to light and darkness and chaos. Ian was pulling Barbara free from the dying vines as we got to them, and together we staggered away our strength, running away from us like water. Somehow we managed to get to the TARDIS, but we were almost on our hands and knees when we did. Grandfather dropped the key on the floor, but he was too weak to pick it up. Instead, he just rested his forehead against the door, too weary to move, ready to die. Ian fell to his knees and scooped the key up in trembling hands, then passed it to Barbara. She was the one who opened the door and pushed us all inside. I paused in the doorway, looking back, but if you said anything to me then, I couldn't hear you. 